Well, good morning. Uh, as Tim introduced us, I'm Laura. I'm the creative director here at COV. And I'm Malik. I'm the worship director here at Church of the Valley. Uh, and we have the honor and privilege of getting up here and we get to talk a little bit about technology, tech ministry, and worship ministry. And because there's two of us, this sermon's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little bit more conversational, a little bit more chill. Uh, we're going to talk, we're going to interview each other just on what it's like to be in tech and in worship here at COV. So with that, we're going to do a little bit of behind the scenes, behind the scenes of tech and behind the scenes of worship. And I'm going to ask Malik a series of questions, and he's going to ask me a series of questions. So I'm going to kick us off. Here we go. What is it, because that's our theme of this sermon, is what is it that you do in worship ministry? And that is a great question, Laura. <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about what we actually do on a day-to-day -day basis in worship ministry. Uh, for starters, what we do in worship ministry is a lot of what you, the congregation, uh, see every Sunday. We praise the Lord by playing instruments, singing, and praying together as a church. And that's kind of the obvious upfront part, but what about behind the scenes? Well, personally, we work closely with the tech team to make sure all the sounds coming out of those speakers sound all right. We have worship nights. I meet with the rest of the staff weekly and pray through and think about how services will flow. And I listen to new songs that I might introduce to the congregation. And there are more things that I do, but my favorite part is getting to spend time with the worship team. What people don't usually see are the practices where we get to worship, but also get to gather together as brothers and sisters and have a great time fellowshipping with one another. And a couple of examples, um, friendships built during practice. And I'm gonna call some people out. Um, one, of the, one of the friends that I've, I've come to know uh, through practice is uh, Mike Lingenfelter, and he's been such an encouragement to me. Um, he's been playing Cajon, and he's been doing great, um, and I'm super appreciative of Mike and the friendship that we've had. Even though we're from different generations, we get to bond over, the, of, over similar things. I'm encouraged by the laughs I get to have with the worship team during practice. Uh, someone I always laugh with is Helena Tam. Uh, it's hysterical sometimes, and it seems like we're sharing the same brain cell. Um, <laughs> True. But she is consistent, She's, she shows up, and, and she is an encouragement to me and to the rest of the team. Uh, I get to train new leaders and also learn from them. A, a great example of someone who it, I get to lead and also learn from is Raymond Tam. Um, he's been serving here at Church of the Valley for a, a little bit now, and um, he has been such an encouragement and just a, a really someone I can rely on to, uh, to lead when, when, when needed and also to um, spend time with if I need a, a brother. Um, I get to nerd out over, over music with Dan and Melanie. Uh, the gifts God has, has given them are, are really amazing. and we, get, we got to see some of those, but what's even more fun is when we're jamming uh, randomly after practice or if Dan's on the drums and, and just getting to talk to Melanie even about choir. Um, I'm, I'm super thankful for them and the, and the gifts God has given them. Um, I get to see people grow, and uh, I get to brag on Eugene Pan, and Laura gets to brag on uh, Eugene Chu. But um, I get to see people grow, and, and Eugene has, Pan has increased in, in confidence greatly um, and singing, and it's a joy to have him on the worship team. And John Michael has also done the same. Um, I, I've enjoyed seeing his voice uh, really come together and flourish in what God's doing in him. And all of this happens because God is at work. And Lastly, as a team, we get to study the word together, and that is incorporated in, into a lot of things that we do, from worship nights to team meetings and, and all of the above. Yeah. 
yeah, there's a, a lot of amazing people that are that go into the worship team here at COV. And that, it's like I practice this, the segue for the next question, which is the role of a worship leader. What is the role of a worship leader and worship team during a worship service, not just behind the scenes? Sure. The primary role of a worship leader and the team is to really to be dependent on God and to worship him genuinely while also leading the congregation. Um, and a lot of the time I feel like me leading is actually me just worshiping with you guys, worshiping with the congregation, which is how it ought to be. Um, but someone usually needs to facilitate, and that's really what we do. The leader or the team members will transition to the next song. We figure out the chord changes. We figure out the keys. We use the gifts God has given us to create an environment that is hopefully free of distractions um, and points, toward, points the focus towards Jesus so that you don't have to. You can come and you can sit and you can hear and, and, and worship. So not only is our role literally serving God, but also serving you as you come through those doors for the sake of pointing you to Christ. Yeah. So with that last question, what are the expectations of those who serve in worship ministry? Sure. So expectations is kind of like a scary word. Uh, really, the expectations are uh, to have a desire to serve the Lord and to follow him, um, to work together with teammates as a, as a team, obviously. We're very team-oriented at Church of the Valley. Like, even if I'm leading, uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask my team members for input. Um, during practices, you know, it's, <laughs> we, try not, we try to uh, listen to who is leading, uh, even if we think there's a better way to do something. Uh, we, we always uh, work together with ideas. And lastly, uh, be present, show up and be involved, and always being, be willing to learn. It's, it's not always how much you know or how good you are at something or, at pl or playing or singing, um, but usually more of how teachable you are. Yeah. Thanks, Malik. Yeah. And with that, I'm going to ask you a few questions, Laura. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and the first question is the same one you asked me. What do you do in tech ministry? Uh, yeah, we are behind the scenes in every single thing that happens at COV. Uh, we are a part of everything from the graphics to what you see on the website, to what you see on YouTube, to the videos you see, to social media posts, the sound and projection on a Sunday morning. And, and my job is to make sure that all of that runs smoothly and so that people aren't distracted during a worship service and are pointed to the gospel. But in a little bit more succinct, I also have bullet points because I saw that you had bullet points and I was like, that's a great <laughs> idea. Um, more succinctly, uh, our job, my job, is to amplify the gospel with the amazing tool of technology, and we get to partner with every single ministry at COV to help them minister to people and share the gospel. Mm. <laughs> We're not on display, um, and uh, you don't really notice us until something goes wrong. And while I listed off a lot of jobs, um, the thing is, is that we rarely get noticed. Um, and we kind of like it that way. Yeah. Awesome, thank you so much. And the next question I have for you is, how is tech ministry different from other ministries? Yeah, that's a great question. We are incredibly different. And as I said, uh, we are not on display. We're not in front of people. We are behind the scenes. Um, and because we don't really work with people, but everyone sees what we do. Um, 
it's an interesting position to be in. Uh, but without us, without some of the technology that we have that runs behind the scenes, in my opinion, I think the spread of the gospel would be greatly diminished here at COV. It's also kind of a lower bar because we're not in front of people. Because regardless of motivations, when you're a part of tech ministry, you're still a part of the gospel being shared at COV when you serve in tech. So technology helps us spread the gospel in today's digital age, and no matter where someone is in their faith walk, they're still helping spread the gospel. Hmm. And my last question for you is, what are expectations of those who serve in tech ministry? <laughs> yeah, like you said, expectations is a little bit of a scary word. So I only have one, and here it is, just show up with a heart to serve and represent Jesus. That is it, because everything else flows out of that. So I don't care who you are, I don't care what skill level you have, um, we have so many different people that are back at a tech booth on any given Sunday morning. We've got David, giant shout out to you, he's one of the most knowledgeable IT and sound engineer guys that I know. Um, we have Eugene Chu, not Pan, who again is one of the most faithful guys. You might have seen him wandering around with a camera, most of VBS down on the ground getting cool shots. Um, and we have so many different youth, about half the team is made up of youth now, which is amazing. We got Parker right now on live stream, which is really cool, and we've got Ariel and Liza and so many others, and there are many, many different skill levels and people types that all get to come together around the gospel and spreading it with the use of technology. So, with all of that, with sort of this interview style, um, we have the unique opportunity to actually look into each other's ministries. As you mentioned, tech ministry and worship ministry interact and intertwine on a lot of different levels. So we have some observations about each other's ministries. Don't worry, we're not gonna rag on each other. Um, but I know that you had some of me and I have some of yours, so why don't you go for it? Yeah, I'll share mine first. Uh, so some observations I have of those who serve in tech and tech ministry in general are um, the people serving aren't attention seeking and have hearts of humility. And that might have a little bit to do with their introvertedness, but God can use that. And it, it's not all introvertedness because I know and I've spent time with those people and I see that God has actually given them that kind of heart to be able to serve in, in tech ministry where they're putting things up on screens and, 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 using, and uh, changing to the next slide. Um, and with that, it's about equipping and being intentional. And um, everyone in tech and, and the tech ministry as a whole, they're about improving their craft. And um, not to the point where it's like, oh, we gotta be the best at tech, because we aren't. <laughs> but they have a desire to, for the sake of pointing to Christ. There's a desire to improve the worship experience and not to be complacent. Um, so like I said, it's not about the newest tech thing or the new cool thing that it got installed, but they want to make the experience um, better while still elevating Christ. And a good example of this is when um, David put a box up in the choir loft so that those who sit up there can hear the takeaways better. Um, and tech and worship are very in interconnected. Um, someone running sound is usually at practice and we impact each other and we're in each other's business. And it wasn't always like that. Like it <laughs> took uh, a while to get like that. But I think it's really because God is at work in both tech and worship ministry. And I didn't forget to uh, be able to brag on you, but after spending, uh, after spending nearly seven years knowing Laura, I've seen the Lord grow her and I know that she aims to do all the things that I mentioned, especially as she's directing that ministry. And 
because I've known her for seven years, I know for a fact that it's the Lord doing the work in her <laughs> and not in her own strength. And the heart that she has for tech and also worship is one gifted by God that blesses others for sure. As she usually has a part in almost every function that goes on here at Church of the Valley. So um, I, I, I'm glad that I get to see you grow and that I get to see a, a little bit of your heart as, you, as you're serving um, others here at Church of the Valley. And so with that, would you share a couple of worship observations that you've had? Yeah. Thanks, Malik. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting for me because I'm part of worship ministry as much as I am part of tech ministry. So rather than getting an outsider's perspective in of worship, I'm on the inside. Um, and I think that's what's really cool for me is there's such an identity of humility that's in worship team that there are, as you mentioned, there are insanely talented people that are part of this team and you're one of them. You're one of the most talented musicians and leaders that I have encountered. Um, and all of the people that I encounter in worship team, you make it about Jesus. You don't make it about your talent, even though you could. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I respect the most about you as a person and as uh, the worship team I respect uh, immensely. And leading into that is it, it bleeds into this authenticity of worship, that you guys are authentic both on and off the platform, and that leads into the friendships that we have and the fact that everyone is pursuing the Lord together, and it makes for an incredibly authentic time of worship. Um, and you too are incredibly intentional about equipping the leaders and those that are up here on a stage. Um, and for me, that's been such a cool thing to watch you pouring into Mike and pouring into even me of just uh, the way that we work on a Thursday practice of you getting to direct and lead and correct um, in a gentle way. And you take that very, very seriously about making sure that we are always pointing to Christ. Um, but with that, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We tend to goon around a lot during worship practice, and we have a lot of laughs, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and I think that just lends into the fact that we get to worship the Lord as ourselves. Mm. So all of that is just a practical byproduct of being rooted in the gospel. Mm. Serving in these areas, serving in tech, serving in worship, is simply a faith exercise of the grace given to us by Jesus. So we're gonna unpack some stuff. We've got sort of a thesis question, if you will, as we were sitting down and kind of hashing out what this sermon would look like. And it's this question, it's gonna be up on screen, and it's how and why is the gospel in everything we do, in tech and in worship. And so we're going to break apart a little bit. Malik's going to talk uh, a little bit more in depth about worship, and then I'll come back up a little bit later and talk about tech. Thank you, Laura. So as Laura said, if all of that is just a practical byproduct of being rooted in the gospel, uh, which is faith or our belief exercised and shown outwardly because of what we believe about Jesus, How and why is the gospel built in to everything we do here at Church of the Valley, especially in tech and worship? Well, today I'll be answering that question for worship ministry, and I'll start with this, which I think applies to all the ministries here at Church of the Valley. And that is you have to know the gospel to be about the gospel. And I think that goes without saying, but you'd be surprised. And it's not just any gospel. And I have a good example, I think, of this is when I was in band, specifically drum corps, we had like 16 tuba players. And our teacher would always preach to us and always tell us that we knew the gospel. And 
this gospel was the gospel of playing and, and playing together in unison. So let's say we play a concert F, we all had to play and match one another and we all had to get the right intonation and, and just play together as like 16 tubas, which we had very little like intelligence because <laughs> we're tuba players. But um, we knew how to play. We knew the gospel that he preached to us. Thankfully, this gospel that we have to know is not the gospel of tuba. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and God's redemptive plan for all of us, who he loves more than we can fathom. Now, some of you might have heard us use the gospel and Jesus interchangeably, or seemingly in an interchangeable way, and sometimes it might seem like they're separate or different, but Jesus and the gospel are interchangeable because the gospel personified is Jesus and his finished work. Here at Church of the Valley, we preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But an example of how the gospel is Jesus personified and his finished work is in John 11, 25, which won't be on the screen, but I'll read it to you. Um, John, in John, it's, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life, sounds a lot like Jesus is the gospel. <laughs> and with, it, with this in mind, I want to open up and ask you guys to get your Bibles out and, and open up to Ephesians 2, and we're going to be reading um, 1 through 10. But f first, for a little context um, while, you, while you get that prepared, is um, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment by the Romans and addressed to Christians in the city of Ephesus, which is located in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. He begins Ephesians by talking about how God chose his people for adopt adoption to sonship through his son, Jesus, and how his grace is freely given. He talks about forgiveness of sins and how we are sealed and guaranteed inheritance by the promised Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 2, he starts off by reminding us, the non, by reminding the non-Jewish Christians about how they came to know Jesus and how before Jesus they were physically alive but spiritually dead. Paul then highlights the transformative power of God's grace and mercy through faith in Jesus Christ. So Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10 says that, Paul says this, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. And when I read that, I, I, I think of this. We were dead in our sins, separating us from God. God sent his perfect son, Jesus, to become the very thing that separated us, sin, meaning he took all that upon himself, died on a cross, and was buried, but victoriously rose 
defeating sin and death. Now when we believe God at his word, when we believe Jesus, we get what we don't deserve, which is grace. We deserve death. We get right standing before God through faith in his son. And in verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, just speaks to how the gospel points us towards being about God's business and doing his work that he prepared in advance for us to do. Now, in the case that anyone thinks that they can know the gospel just by memorizing facts or head knowledge, I'll say this. We can't know Jesus, do anything for his sake, or emphasize the gospel in our own strength and in our own efforts. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about this in John 15, 5, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's kind of what Paul was like explaining in, in, in Ephesians. And, when it says, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing means nothing. This is why Jesus sent the helper, the Holy Spirit, who we need. He is part of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and testifies that Jesus is Lord. We see Jesus saying this in John 15, verse 26, when he says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And he says, he, he reiterates this earlier, actually, in John 14, verse 26, where he says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Now here, Jesus was talking to his disciples in, in John 14 and comforting them because he would be going away. But that same Holy Spirit is, a, is the one that we also receive. So if we have the gospel, we have the Holy Spirit and believe in Jesus, we can be about the gospel because it becomes our filter. This means that the truth and the good news of Jesus is the magnifying glass or microscope through which we perceive life once we identify with Jesus. Through this filter, we can see God's redemptive plan and how Jesus is the point in both the Old and New Testament. Through this filter, we can discern what is true according to God's word and live our lives differently because we have the eyes to see and the heart to obey. So practically, what does this look like in worship ministry? Well, for one, when I'm going through my process to prepare for Sunday, I don't pick songs that contradict God's word. I can go to the word and I can check and see what I'm doing and make sure it lines up with the truth. I don't pick songs that are super popular just because they sound good. I want them to be truthful. I don't pick songs that are so vague that they can be confused for a love song written about someone's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> I pick songs that people can sing and that have accessible keys or pick an accessible key so that everyone can participate and praise God without straining their voices or, or, or so they don't feel like they're attending an opera sing-along. When I think through these things, I'm reminded of Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17, which says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's a big part of how the gospel is built into worship ministry. But another thing that we emphasize is equipping others. Another way of saying equip is, for example, I help and train people to lead and do what I do so that I don't always have to do it. And it's not just because I want less work to do because it never quite works out that way. <laughs> but it's because, for one, the word tells us to, and it's for our maturity and sanctification. We don't do the sanctifying, but it's an opportunity for God to sanctify us through what we're doing and through that equipping. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, um, it says, So Christ himself gave the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of, of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And lastly, equipping through the gospel helps point to Jesus, not individuals. A good example of someone in scripture who didn't make it about themselves is John the Baptist. In John chapter 3, we see John the Baptist playing a crucial role in pointing people to Jesus. He was a respected person who drew attention and followers, but he consistently redirected their focus away from himself and towards Jesus, the Messiah. When questioned about the ceremonial washing and how Jesus was baptizing everyone on the other side of the Jordan, John emphasized that he was not the Messiah, but rather the one who was preparing the way for the Savior. He declared that Jesus must increase while he must decrease, and that's John 3.30. His humility and clarity of purpose made Jesus the central point of his ministry, helping pave the way for the revelation of God's love and salvation through Jesus Christ. By exalting Jesus and diminishing himself, John the Baptist demonstrated a wonderful example of how to direct hearts and minds toward the ultimate hope of purpose found in the person of Jesus. Here at Church of the Valley, we have a culture that's about the gospel, about Jesus, the resurrection and the life. And for that reason, we don't want to make it about ourselves. We don't want to make ourselves the point. We are not Jesus. Because of this, it's really hard to hide if I'm making it about myself. When I'm up here on a Sunday, my faith is really on display, but it's not a performance. People always ask, say, hey, I want to come and see you perform at church. I'm like, eh, like, no. <laughs> Please come, but I'm not performing. I'm, I'm worshiping. Um, 
We're about the gospel, so it's really hard to play a song and be up here and go through the motions. It helps me to be, it helps me be dependent and reliant on God. And I'm thankful for this because it keeps me in, in check and it deters me from trying to do things in my own strength. I'm not perfect, I still, I still do, because I'm a human, but it keeps me accountable. And I'm not trying to scare you out of joining worship team, but this is, this is part of the reality of what we do here at Church of the Valley and, and what it means to make it about Jesus. It's not about us. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Laura, and she's gonna speak into the biblical reasons behind worship and talk about some of the similar things um, about why we have tech ministry. Thanks, Malik. So as I uh, prefaced earlier in the sermon that we're going to unpack why and how is the gospel in everything we do, and Malik just did a fabulous job of doing that for worship, but as I was thinking through, I had this question, why do we have a tech ministry biblically? See, I think it's easier to answer why do we have tech in a really practical way. We live in the Silicon Valley with many talented, tech-savvy people that need a place to serve. We live in a digital age where multimedia seems to be the only way to be heard nowadays. But is there a biblical reason? And, and the answer is yes. We have a biblical reason. I have a biblical reason. So let me give you my theme verse. It's the heart behind why we do tech here at COV. And it comes from a mixture of Exodus 31 and 35. So I'm going to give you a moment. Go ahead, turn to Exodus 31. And you might look at me and go, Exodus, really? That's where you get technology? And the answer is yeah. See, some of the preface, some of the context for Exodus 31 is God is giving instructions to Moses on the building of the tabernacle, this holy place, this temple where the Holy Spirit was to reside, and that he would be part of the people of Israel. And that's going to be really, really important here in a minute, but let me go ahead and read Exodus 31, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God. That's going to be really important in a minute. With wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. Here's my favorite part. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Asimach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. For me, this is such an amazing description of what I do and what we do as a team on a daily and weekly basis. Exodus here is describing the creative and skillful artistry of a craft that is fueled by the Lord. So while we don't see the words videos or graphic design or sound engineering or IT, they're not mentioned, but we see here artistic design. We see skilled craftsmen. And this is important to the Lord, not just because the tabernacle was important, but because the people worshiping and having uh, one heart and one mind connected by the Holy Spirit was important. So here's my main point. Here it is. God gives artistic and analytical gifts to be utilized for his glory. 
Let me say that another way. The skills, talents, and abilities that you've been given, that I've been given, that we've been given, can be and should be used as a signpost to point back to Jesus' completed work on the cross, to point others towards him and not to ourselves. We see this in Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 10. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Technology and its use is a gift fueled by the Holy Spirit. And that's important because post-Jesus, post-resurrection, if you have received him, the Holy Spirit now resides in us, not in a tabernacle or in a temple. We are the temple. I had that point a couple of weeks ago in a sermon. We are the temple, and guess what? We are the temple collectively. As Tim says, we are the people, not the steeple. And for me, in tech and in the creative things that I do, that was a bit of an aha moment that I could do the things that I'm passionate about. I studied graphic design in school and multimedia, and I absolutely love it. I'm an artist at heart. And it was an aha moment. I remember sitting down, I'm in my office. I've got a blank canvas, a blank screen in front of me going, I have no idea what to create. And so I paused and I had a short prayer, God help me create something that would be useful for your people. It was an aha moment that I could serve with my talents and abilities with technology, with the Holy Spirit. So that's my second point. We serve with the Holy Spirit's guidance in all that we do here at COV. So even though this position, being in technology, what I do, what the team does, is incredibly practical. We do a lot of projects that are, you know, things that can be completed. We never want to forget why we do what we do, which is to utilize technology for the glory of the Lord with the skills and the abilities that he's gifted us. As I was researching, um, I came across this article by Will Sorrell. He's uh, one of the many writers on the Gospel Coalition, and he had this entire article about the role of technology in churches today. It's an amazing article. I highly, check, highly recommend that you check it out. But here's a section where he talks about this, and I loved what he said. He said this, again, technology is amoral. It's neither good nor evil, like money. But as soon as we use it, we are either honoring the kingdom or hindering it. We are either worshiping God or worshiping self. Will goes on to ask a series of reflective questions in his article, but it all revolves around this one. How do you engage with technology? Do you use it to amplify the gospel and encourage biblical action? Or do you use it as a barrier to community and accountability? His point is this, and it's my point. I kind of said it earlier, but here it is. Biblically, tech should be an arrow that points people to become connected participants in community, not hinder their spiritual growth. And I can honestly say in my heart of hearts and our hearts here at COV is that the use of technology, from the soundboard to the projectors to websites to YouTube to sermons, is to improve your connection, to amplify the gospel of Jesus to those who need to hear it, and to amplify it in the hearts and minds of those that interact here. Our heart for technology at COV is to amplify the gospel and encourage biblical action. But what does encouraging biblical action mean? What does that look like? Well, we have incredibly talented individuals with skills and abilities in tech fields that serve in the booth on a Sunday morning. 
We have Sarah Delwood, who's an amazing photographer. We've got Sean Frost, who's one of the best videographers I've ever encountered in my life. We've got expert sound engineers and button pushers, IT guys. And this ministry allows them to grow and pass on what they know to others. And that brings me to my second point, that leaders, those of us who have the knowledge, also have the responsibility to equip and teach others as the Lord leads. And that's where Exodus 35 comes in. So Exodus 35, you can flip forward in your Bibles if you would like and follow along. It's just two verses, 34 and 35. And it says this, And he, God, has given both him, Bezalel, and Oholiab, son of Asimach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers, and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and weavers, all of them skilled workers and designers. The Holy Spirit has gifted the ability to teach others, to pass on what we know to others. And that's one of the best parts of this job for me is that I get to sit back in the tech booth and I get to watch people's passions come alive as they grow, not just in their skills, but in their faith. And we wanna be excellent about what we do, not for you guys, sorry, but for the Lord. Paul writes that in Colossians 3:23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. We do what we do for Jesus, not for any single person and not for personal accolade. We always want to remember that. We always want to put Jesus as the forefront. We always want to make sure that what we do on a weekly basis, whether it is pushing an arrow key on slides or whether it is something much bigger, that we do it for Jesus, we do it for God's glory and not our own. See, engaging in tech is worship. Teaching is worship. Worship is worship. Everything that we do is worship. If we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, and that's what Paul writes in Romans 12:1. therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Your entire life can be and should be a worship service, as Tim likes to say, to the Lord. So that means that when you push a button in tech, whether you make a graphic or a video, it's for the Lord. We wanna worship the Lord with our best, not to be perfect or to gain favor or to make it about us. See, I've been part of a lot of different churches and I've been to visit a lot of different churches and tech in many church contexts I've seen has been all about a perfect production on par with a TV show. I'm gonna be real, we're not like that here. See, tech ministry is not about a production. It's about a process of imperfectly amplifying the gospel together. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to invite uh, Malik up. I'm going to invite the Neethlings up as I close. Uh, we got a little bit more to talk about. We've got a couple of questions that we're going to close. But Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, tech by its very nature is supportive. Our job is to support others as they proclaim the gospel and worship ministry too. Our job is to be amplifiers for the work that others are doing and that God is doing through us. So as we close, we had this main question, which is, what is it that you do here? Well, Malik, what is it that we do here? We make the gospel of first importance. Yeah. We make everything we do 
about Jesus and the gospel. And that was something that as we met this week with Tim, he was like, this is sort of the lens that I'm giving you guys, that the gospel is of first importance. Explain why. And that comes from 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read the first half, and Malik's going to read the second half. So it goes like this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we make Jesus the point in everything that we do. And we're going to leave you guys with two questions, kind of reflective questions. There are ways that you can attempt to engage. I'm going to say the first one, Malik's going to say the second one, but are you willing to participate in what God is doing here at COV? And are you willing to be about the gospel as you engage here and also elsewhere? Yeah. And there's some really tangible examples. We've got coffee and treats out there at the end of service. Stay and talk with somebody. Be known. If there's something that was stirred up in your heart of, man, I kind of want a place that I can serve, whether it's in tech or even in kids or worship, talk to a ministry head or fill out a card in front of you that you're interested in using your talents and your abilities to glorify the Lord. God can use your talents and abilities for his glory. And lastly, you don't have to be a rock star to serve. Yeah. You don't have to, all you have to do is, is believe in Christ. <laughs> he works in and through us, and all we have to do is rely on him. So if you're thinking about serving in tech, thinking about serving in children's ministry, worship ministry, whatever it is, um, don't feel like you have to clean yourself up or, or learn all the skills before because we are about equipping and we will help you. But Jesus is the point. Yeah. And with that, I'm going to pray. And um, Dan and Melanie are going to lead us in, in worship. God, I just thank you so much that... Um, we, not perfectly, but we, we get to make it about you here at Church of the Valley. God, I, I just thank you so much that um, you've done a work here. Um, you've done a work in, in those who attend here and in their lives that go beyond these walls because it's not the building, it's, it's uh, your people. Um, so God, I just pray that you would continue to help us rely on you, help us to point people to you um, in, our, in our own daily lives, I pray that we would, uh, you would be our foundation and, and our rock, Lord. You are the resurrection and the life. Um, we can't do anything uh, apart from you. Uh, just bless us, Lord, as we go throughout, on throughout the week and, and yeah, throughout the rest of uh, our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.